0: Uh, it's, it's good to, I, I, my heart's already full. It's good to open up God's Word this morning. and Awesome to hear what you guys are doing in Papua New Guinea. And uh, it's cool to hear about our, our youth pastors as well. Uh, for those of you who I haven't uh, met with you yet, my name is Tyson. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Colwood Church. And uh, this week, it was a big milestone in our household. It was my wife and I celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary. And... Uh, we were a lot younger there i probably ate a lot less ice cream back then um but i it's it's, it was awesome recently my parents visited and uh my mom had this folder of all of the pictures from our wedding and uh it's funny when we were looking back at all these pictures and all this stuff you're reminded of all the things that go into making a wedding You have the decorations, you have the invitations, you have the guests, the wedding parties, uh, the the groom, the bride, the vows, the rings, the ceremony. There are receiving lines or hopefully not receiving lines. Uh, There's the pictures that all get taken that day and your face is so tired from smiling by the end of that day. There's reception, MCs, and hopefully tasteful and funny speeches that aren't too long. And everyone said amen to that. There's so many aspects that went into our wedding day that we looked back through uh, through all the photos of, but there was one thing that I was focused on on that day, my bride. And the rest of that day is kind of a haze in my memory. I remember bits and pieces like one of my groomsmen buying the wrong color of shoes And us having to go in the car that morning to go get the right color of shoes. But the one thing that is clear in my mind 10 years later is standing at the front, looking down the aisle and seeing my beautiful bride walk around the corner and seeing the look on her face as I tried not to cry and lose it that day. And I bring this all up to not self-congratulate Lindsay and myself, but your applause was very nice. Thank you. But to lead us into our passage today of Revelation 19 and 20, where we're going to see a great wedding happen. If you haven't been with us in this series or are brand new today, thanks for joining us. Uh, We are in a sermon series all looking at the book of Revelation called It's Not As It Seems. And last week, Pastor Sean looked at Revelation chapter 17 and 18, talking about Babylon and how Babylon was compared to the great prostitute or harlot, your Bible might say, who tries to get your attention and your devotion Babylon was an evil empire in human history, but Pastor Sean talked about how there have been Babylons all throughout human history. And it's not just an empire in the past, but any human empire that tries to set itself up as a king over all of creation is a Babylon. And any time as human beings we try to displace God from the throne, we end up creating Babylons where evil triumphs and people are taken advantage of. And we get to the end of chapter 18, and we see that Babylon falls once and for all. And today, we pick up in chapter 19, which follows the fall of Babylon. And so, our reading today starts with this. After this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God, because His judgments are true and righteous. Because he has judged the notorious prostitute, or Babylon, who we talked about last week, who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. A second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped, who is seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all his servants, and the ones who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, like the sound of rumbling thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. So let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are true. Then I fell at his feet and worshiped him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. And your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus, worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. At the end of chapter 18, we see that Babylon has fallen and we get this glimpse into what happens in heaven when Babylon has fallen. They are throwing a party. All of heaven starts to proclaim hallelujah, which if you're new to church or you don't know what this word means, it means our praise to God, or more literally, praise Yah, which is the shortened form of Yahweh, God's name that we find in the Old Testament. We can miss the importance of this sometimes in our English interpretations and translations of the Bible, how we translate Yahweh Our our translators try to carry over the reverence that Jewish people have for the name of God in that they won't even say his name. They try to carry that over, but they write in, in your Bibles, you'll probably see the Lord all in caps. And so anytime you see the Lord all in caps, it is God's name Yahweh. But in English, that sounds a whole lot more like a title than it does in Hebrew where it is a personal name for God. Now, if you don't know Pastor Sean, you might call him by his title, Reverend Chapman, which I do all the time when he asks me to do something. I say, yes, Reverend Chapman, right away, Reverend Chapman. You can ask him, I I do that actually. But if you call him by his personal name, Sean, you've got to be careful how you spell it, of course, because there's a lot of different spellings of Sean, but calling him Sean is a lot more relational and personal than Reverend Chapman. And likewise, the word hallelujah is a praising of the personal name of who God is found in the Old Testament. It is an important part of Israel's history that God has a name and wants to be relationally known by his people. This way of praising Yahweh is only found in this one part of the New Testament. It's throughout the Old Testament in a few places, but it's only found here. And it's found in important places in the Old Testament, including the Hallel Psalms in Psalm 113 to 118. These are the You Praise Psalms that were sung at Passover, celebrating how Israel had been set free from Egypt, a theme that we talk about time and time again throughout Revelation, is God has set his people free in the past, and in the future, he is going to set us free once and for all, and we can proclaim Hallelujah. When Israel was delivered from Egypt, they praised Yahweh and sang hallelujah. And when Babylon falls once and for all, we see that heaven joins together and sings hallelujah once again. Here's how Daryl Johnson puts it. I love this. Hallelujah is sung at the Passover meal celebrating this deliverance from Egypt. Now hallelujah is sung because a new meal is at hand. The feast that celebrates the great deliverance won through the blood of the Lamb. God has put an end to evil once and for all. And as a result, we join with heaven when we sing hallelujah. And so if you're new to church or you're wondering what that word is in our songs, it is us saying praise God or praise Yahweh. That's what that is sung four times in our passage for today. And this passage continues and we get to that wedding that I talked about earlier. In verses 7 to 9, it says this, let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear bright and pure for the fine linen represents the acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are true. This is where we started today with a bride and a groom Only instead of it being me standing at the front, it is Jesus watching his bride come towards him, us, the church, and his people. Throughout scripture, there are many ways that we are described as followers of Jesus. We are called disciples, and Jesus is our teacher or our rabbi. He is our king, and we are his servants. He is our Lord. He is our friend. And in this passage, we come to another way we are to understand Jesus, and that is as our groom, and we are his bride. This picture is woven all throughout scripture that God is the groom and we are his bride. Isaiah 61.10 puts it this way, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. We are the bride of Christ and he is our groom. And there is so much meaning and impact into this that we need to look at this today. The first thing that it shows us is that God loves us deeply. Yes, God loves us absolutely as his disciples, but his love goes deeper than just friendship with you and I today. He loves us like a husband loves his bride and wants a close and intimate relationship with each one of us. Listen, I love my family, I love my friends, I love my son, I love every person who's a part of this Colwood Church family, but no one has my heart and my affection like my bride, Lindsay. From the beginning to the end, I love what Tim Keller says, we hear God continually saying in the Old Testament as well as the New, I want to relate to my people, but I don't want to relate merely as a king relates to subjects or as a shepherd relates to sheep, I want a relationship with you the way that a husband relates to a wife. I want a relationship with you that is permanent because you know marriage is still the most solemn and binding of all human contracts. I want a relationship that is comprehensive because marriage affects every part of life. And most of all, I want a relationship that intimate. Marriage is the only place where we are fully and absolutely vulnerable with another person in every area of our lives. In a healthy and whole marriage, we are physically, legally, emotionally, financially connected and vulnerable to another person. You are known as fully as you can be known by another person, and you love and care for that other person. And here, God is saying, whether you have experienced that In your time on this earth or not, that is the type of relationship I want with you. God wants to know you and be known by you. He is committed to you, and he is a faithful marriage partner who will not break his vows. And this leads me to the second thing that God being our groom shows us. It shows us that we are secure. One of the primary needs that every human being has is to know that they are loved, to be known fully and understood and seen and yet loved. That is one of our primary needs as human beings. And when we don't have that, we are searching for that type of love in relationships, in our careers, in other places. And Jesus being our husband shows us that we do not have to operate from a place of searching for that love elsewhere, but that we operate from a place of being loved like that already. We can operate from a place of being faithfully loved by God. We don't have to search for that love in an earthly partner, from a boss, from a parent, from a spouse, from a mentor, from a teacher, from whoever else you might be searching for that kind of love from. Instead, this picture shows us that you are secure. You are loved by the groom. And this is the beauty of God's grace for each and every one of us, church, he knows us, our faults, our warts, and all. And after 10 years of being married, Lindsay has seen all of mine, and she still chooses to love me. And God infinitely more for each one of us. God sees everything and still chooses to stay as near as a husband is to a wife. And this leads me to the third thing, that this picture of a groom and his bride teaches us about our relationship with God. This is why sin is such a big deal, because sin is adultery. When we talk about sin sometimes, we can just talk about it like it's messing up. We can talk about it like it's breaking a rule. But sin in this context of being in a marriage relationship is about loyalty to a partner. Sin is about giving our heart to someone else or loving someone or something else more than we love God. I I want you to imagine for a moment, the picture of a husband and wife, and they're married, but this husband, instead of spending evenings at his house, starts to spend nights at another woman's house. He starts to go on trips with this other woman. He starts to invest all of his time, his effort and attention to this other woman until finally his wife confronts him and says, what are you doing? You're married to me. What's going on? And the husband responds to this wife and says, well, you still have my name, we still have a joint bank account. We still share a house together. What, do you, what more do you want? I'm still wearing my ring. And the wife, of course, would reply, But I don't have the most important thing your heart. Now, if we're going to get real for a second, don't we sometimes do this with God? We list off all the things that God still has from us. I still read my Bible, I've been baptized, I still pray. I still go to church weekly. I still serve in the church. But if you're being honest, you'd admit that someone or something else has your heart's attention, your passion. And if you were really honest and no one else was around, you would admit that you're living first for something other than God, whether it's a job or a career or someone else, a relationship, your family, something has your time and your attention. I don't know what it might be for you. You could fill in the blank there. It might be a hobby or a cause that you give your time to. Your attention might be somewhere else and your heart's affection might be somewhere else as well. And this is why last week, as Pastor Sham was talking about Babylon, the language that's used is that of a prostitute or harlot because it is trying to get our affection and our attention It is not just trying to be overly graphic. It is trying to say it is appealing for your heart. That is what is going on here. That may sound harsh or a bit too dramatic, but it is all about our love and devotion. And in a similar fashion to that husband that we talked about just a moment ago, we might say to God, you've got our money, you've got our name, you've got lots of other stuff, but our heart's affection and attention might be somewhere else. Archbishop William Temple It says, uh, this is a good test. If you want to know who your God is, look and see what you do with your solitude. What he means by this is when you have a free moment, when you don't have any other responsibilities or anything else on the go, where does your mind and your heart drift to? What is the thing that your your head drifts to when you can daydream about stuff? Uh, I came across this idea a few years ago, and I'll be honest, it's kind of haunted me ever since. Because it makes you pay attention to what you think about. It makes you pay attention to what you daydream about and where your mind wanders to. And even as I was prepping this message, I felt like God was reminding me, a course correction, coming back to this. Because our lives are not static. This is something that we have to come back to and check time and time again. We can drift off, of course, just like any marriage relationship can drift apart from each other. We can drift away from God as well. And as God was reminding me, this might sound foolish and kind of stupid, but one of the things that I love is sports. I love sports. It's one of my favorite passions, one of the ways I connect with other people. And uh, it's coming up to the NFL season kicking off in September. And I'm a nerd, so I like to play fantasy football, which is where I build a fake team of guys who play football, and they play against another guy's fake team, and we see who wins. Super nerdy. Super um, nerdy. But I can spend so much time researching the stats. I can figure out who do I need to pick with my first pick in this draft. Who's going to be the best players for this year? Who's going to be the best team? And I can spend hours and hours and hours of that time, and I can go, but I don't have time to pray today. (laughs) Does anybody else have that problem at all? We can make excuses where maybe not with fantasy football. That'd be nerdy, so don't admit that today. But we can spend all of our time and all of our attention and all of our heart's affection running after something else. When God is saying, I'm right here, I am your spouse, you are cheating on me with that other thing, that other person. And if we don't view Jesus as our groom, but just as a king who is distant and far away, we can view sin as just breaking a rule. So what is the big deal? But if I know something bothers my wife or grieves her heart, like leaving a sink full of dishes, hypothetically speaking, there is more weight to it because there's a relational connection there. And when God describes us as his bride, he is saying, I want a relationship with you. And that is why sin is not just about rules and regulations. It is about our relationship with God. And the question that we can ask ourselves today is, have we allowed something, whether it's a career, a relationship, a hobby, a child, or something else to take that top spot in our hearts and our attentions? Have we found ourselves in the arms of something that isn't our spouse, the groom? And in different seasons, we can drift to that place. But the good news is that one day Babylon will be defeated. That is what this passage tells us. Evil is going to be done. And until then, our job, as this passage teaches us, is to prepare ourselves. That is what the saints are clothed in, their acts. They prepare themselves for our groom, Jesus. And Revelation 19 starts with this beautiful wedding ceremony where one day we will be united with our groom, Jesus, once and for all. And then in verse 11 of chapter 19, we find there is another picture happening heaven opens up and we pivot from a wedding straight into a war. Now, I've been to some wedding receptions before, but this one would be wild. Here's what the rest of chapter 19 says. Then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he called out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying high overhead, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of the horses and of their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner along with the false prophet who had performed its signs in its presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds ate their flesh. Heaven opens up and we see this rider on a white horse, Jesus. Now, in the first century, a horse was a symbol for riding into war. If a king rode on a horse, they were going to war. But if a king rode in on a donkey, there was about peace that was going to happen. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. But here in Revelation 19, we see that Jesus is riding into what has been historically called the final battle. Although that title might be a little bit misleading because this battle is never actually fought. Here's what Daryl Johnson says about it being misleading. It's misleading for the simple reason that the final battle to which Jesus rides is never fought. It's never fought because it need not be fought. The final battle, in capital letters, was on the cross. When, as the apostle put it, Jesus triumphed over the principalities and powers. The, The final battle, in small letters, need not be fought because the final battle has already been fought and won. Jesus rides simply to finally implement the victory of the cross. In chapters 19 and 20, I am convinced that Jesus rides into this battle not as Rambo, ready to be covered in the blood of his enemies. Instead, he rides into the battle in a robe that is already dipped in blood. His own blood, which he shed for you and for me. Jesus won the battle, not by going all John Wick on his enemies, but by shedding his own blood. And he now rides to lock up all of the enemies of God. He throws the two beasts, the false prophets, and in chapter 20, he will lock up the dragon and death and Hades itself into the lake of fire. Jesus does not have a sword in his hand. I don't know if you noticed that, but the sword comes from his mouth. This is vital to understanding what this passage is all about because in the very beginning, Jesus is called the Word of God. Here is how John describes who Jesus is at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word of God. That is why the sword is coming out from his mouth. He is God's speech, He is the one who spoke the universe into existence and he created everything that you see today through speaking. No dragon, no beast, no false prophet or any other image for evil that we find in Revelation can overcome the one who simply spoke the universe into existence. And I'm here to remind us today, friends, that no matter how big and how bad evil may look in Revelation or in our lives, they are no match for the word of God. Jesus wins, friends. That is what Revelation 19 and 20 reminds us of today. This final battle has already been won on the cross. Death and evil may have a little bit of time remaining here on this earth, but they will be locked up forever. And Revelation 19 and 20 reminds us that Jesus is faithful and true. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is the word of God, and no one will overcome him. So how does Jesus win? The way that he always has, by simply speaking. When Jesus walked this earth, he spoke to people who were demon-possessed, and the demons fleed. When Jesus was on the sea that we sang about earlier this morning, with storms raging around him, all he did was say, be still, and the seas and the winds and the waves obeyed him. When Lazarus was laying dead in a tomb, Jesus spoke, Lazarus, get up, and He did. And on the cross when Jesus spoke, it is finished. I believe him. It was done that day. Death, disease, and evil are done. They have a limited shelf life because the word has spoken. Do you believe that, church, today? There's no question who is going to win. Jesus, our bridegroom, the word of God, has already won the battle. There you have it. That's what Revelation 19 and 20 is all about. A wedding and a war. And as we get to the end of chapter 20, we don't have as much time this morning to dive into all of chapter 20, but we get to this picture at the end of chapter 20 where there is a final judgment at the great white throne. Now, if you're new to church and you're sitting here listening today, you're like, I knew it. I knew there was a catch. There's always a catch. What do you mean there's a big judgment scene going on? Well, that's what we've been talking about for a few weeks now is that judgment is actually a good thing. Judgment means that God cares about evil. He cares about injustice and that he's going to do something about what is happening on this earth right now. God cares about the brokenness in our our society. He cares about what is happening right here and right now and he's going to do something about it. And as we've already talked about today, if we are Christ's bride, we have nothing to fear on that great judgment day. Jesus' blood has covered us and we are his And the choice is for each one of us today. Do we want our names to be written in that book of life? Do we accept the invitation from our groom today or not? God's not going to force any bride down the aisle who doesn't want to walk down the aisle. That is not the type of groom that Jesus is. And if you want life apart from him, he will respect your choice. But our choices now affect not just the rest of our lives here, but our eternity and whether we will spend it with our groom, Jesus, or not. Revelation 19 and 20 shows us that there will be a great wedding and a war. The question left for all of us today is, are you ready? In the passage, we see that the bride is ready for the groom. Are you ready for Jesus today? Are you preparing by doing the good works that are being talked about? Are you preparing by keeping your heart pure for your groom today? If you've never said yes to Jesus in the room today, the invitation is yours. Your groom is waiting, wanting you to walk down the aisle. Will you take it? And if you've already said yes to Jesus, but you know as we've been talking this morning that your heart has drifted from your groom, that your heart has drifted towards other things, the invitation to you today is to come back home. Come back to your groom. Turn from whatever else may have your heart and your attention and come back to Jesus, your groom. Because Revelation 19 and 20 shows us that our groom, Jesus, is victorious. There's no question about that. And he is waiting for us today, church. And I can't wait to see all of you at that wedding. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, we thank you that you are our groom. We thank you that you love us that deeply. That whether we have experienced Uh, Being married here on earth or not, you want to be that great and perfect spouse that we all long for and that we all seek. The one in whose arms we are secure, that we do not have to search for that kind of love because you have already given that love to us. And so today, may we rest in that fact. May we stop striving and searching for that love elsewhere, but may we rest and operate from the place of being loved by you. Jesus, you are the word of God and nothing can stand up to the one who spoke the universe into existence. May we be reminded of that fact today when we come up against evil, when we come up against mountains and winds and waves around us, that you are the God who can speak to that storm and to that evil and say, stop. May we turn to you instead of carrying it around in our own anxieties and our own fears. May we turn to the one who can speak and make a change. We love you so much, Jesus, because you first loved us. And we thank you that you have out to us first as a groom waits for his bride. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, thank you so much for, for being with us today. We, uh, we're grateful that you took time out of your Sunday, and if if that uh, that call to being ready to you today, uh, ready for Jesus, has hit, hit you or impacted you, and you want to find out more about what following Jesus is all about, I encourage you to text the word LIFE to 250478. 7113. And one of our pastors would love to be in touch with you, hear a little bit more of your story, and help you as you get started following Jesus. Um, Pastor Josh is in the Welcome Center this morning. He'd love to meet you if you're brand new. And uh, other than that, have an amazing week, and we will see you back here next week for church. All right, love you, church. Bye.